Welcome everybody to uh, podcast number 83. Unbelievable. And another Oilers fan, even though. Yeah. <laughs> we got a different one on tonight, boys. The, uh, the last Jersey didn't really work for us, but. So far so good. We're winning tonight. Yeah. We're going old school with the old sweater tonight. I got, I got the video over in the corner, keeping a close full eye, you know, Stress is kicking in over here in Edmonton. It's not good so far. <laughs> yeah, four games in, we're like, yeah, five now, yeah. We <laughs> really do it to you. Yeah. Um, of course, first thing we want to plug is the Patreon. Um, we have, you can sign up at 5 or sorry, patreon.com slash 5 for as little as $2 a month. Um, there's some videos that have gone up this last week that are only available to our patrons at the moment. So, uh, if you want to see some trick shooting by the Wisemans, you might want to sign up for a couple bucks and see it. Some pretty cool shots and uh, a few more going up over the coming weeks. So just a little added incentive for those people that want to help us uh, support the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for bringing the tripod. Uh, <laughs> more trick shots tomorrow, maybe. I don't know. We got yeah. nothing else to do at work today. Yeah, we're, we're brainstorming, sending you guys some good ideas. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the watermelon shot we're looking for. Yeah, send in any ideas you guys want for trick shots, and we'll try them out. <laughs> Anything you want. So just while we're we're doing a little banter here, we'll throw up the patrons up on the screen so uh, all the video viewers can see who's helped supporting us. And if you want to get on that list, just hop on over to patreon.com slash 5pinuniverse. Um, and so before we bring in our guest and uh, also do our weekly advertising... Um, DB and PBG has come together and uh, designed some clothing for us, maybe that we'll be able to release here in the next coming month or two. Um, looking really forward to it. Some of the pieces uh, I'm really excited to get my hands on. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, some new some new hats, uh, a couple of sweatshirts. We got uh, some sweatpants, maybe some uh, maybe some custom two under. But yeah, we'll, uh, we're putting some stuff together. Uh, Dex is working hard too on a site. Um, you know, ultimately it's raising money for uh, the Five Pin Universe and money's just going to go back into production, into videos. Um, we even have a charity component that we're going to build a foundation and be able to donate some funds back into the bowling world, into worthy causes. So um, yeah, it's, get the brand out there, build some, build some rapport for sure. Yeah, exactly. And if you guys don't know on our YouTube page and our Facebook live page, you can go back and uh, we discussed the pro team league here um, on Sunday and you can see kind of the results and the logos that were designed by BPG as well. And uh, some of the teams coming through that uh, we'll be competing against. It's a uh, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, big time. All right. So we'll bring in our weekly sponsor, um, All-Star Bowling Seals sponsors again for this week. Um, can't thank them enough. Bring in our special guest for the week. So as most of you know, our special guest this week for number one or for number 83 is second appearance, Mr. Tom Patterson. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hello. It's kind of interesting that the Oilers would lose to, what was that team again? Um, Careful. Started with no. Started with starts with an M. Uh, um, we can cut this podcast off real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five and a half minutes. New record. <laughs> it just slipped my mind who it was, but yeah. Is that? Are you saying that you're a Habs fan? I am. Wow. <laughs> How did that happen? 
I guess I'm gone now. Goodbye. <laughs> how, did that, how did that happen? How did you become a Montreal Canadiens fan? Because when I was originally a kid, the first time, I'm still a kid, but anyway, um, the Habs were a team to contend with. Yeah, I thought it was like one of the six teams that were in the league at that time. I, I don't, I'm not a trader. Although I would cheer for the Las Vegas Knights. That's fair. Yeah. 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 I'm going to cheer for Seattle when they come into the league too. I get it. Just because yeah. there's a Kraken. I like Seattle. I've always liked the city. I don't know. Yeah. I'll cheer for them. Yeah. <laughs> nice thing to do. I was surprised by the Habs the other day. I'll be honest. I mean, they, they got something. For two in a row, I was. Yeah. Win sure. one, I'm not. But win two in a row, I have. Yeah. They, they looked really good. <laughs> yeah. Their goalies did not. No, they didn't. But they're beating the Leafs tonight, so we're doing okay. It's 1-1 right. one, one now. Thank you, TV. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> we just scored. <laughs> right. I'm out, man. See you later. <laughs> so well, I gave you the misfortune of being able to preview one of the chapters. Uh, I know that must have kept you up at night, but. Um, <laughs> you know, the good thing is we're shut down right now. So I go into the bowling alley every day and I got to read this. And, uh, and then had some time to unwind before I went to bed. So it was good. Uh, <laughs> honestly, Tom, uh, the chapter is fantastic. It, well, thanks. I, it is really, you, really good. Truly, honestly, 336 pages on five-pin bowling? Come on, give your head a shake. <laughs> How do you write 336 pages on five-pin bowling? Yeah, that, there's a lot there. I, that on, yeah, I used a lot of ands, buts, and ors. <laughs> and and let's be fair, a lot of follow throughs and a lot, yes, of, a lot of follow throughs. Yeah. Very good, good point. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to the book there, Tom. Obviously, you prefaced everybody. So, Tom, in in part of this, um, you know, we all know that you wrote a book. Um, you know, your fourth book that you're working on. You sent us a preview of a chapter, um, and really great stuff in there. So we'll have some good stuff to talk about here tonight. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the key things in there. Before we go too far into that, though, Tom, I sort of wanted to, you know, chat and let's understand your background, your education. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and and you know, you're, you've been a teacher for a number of years. Let's let's go back a little bit. Tell us a bit about your personal life and, and some credibility on on being able to write books. If you don't mind. Um, well, I guess, you know, I always knew I was going to be a teacher. And that was my passion from whenever I can remember from long ago. And teaching is my thing. Hence, in time, the bowling school came to develop, right? But as I went through university, et cetera, I focused on uh, counseling and Native studies, First Nations stuff. And, uh, I, I, you know, when, you, when you're involved in teaching, you understand the importance of serving people and helping people. And it's really the core motivation behind anything that you do as a teacher. And I was able to transfer that through the years that I did the bowling schools and did individual instructing uh, through YBC programs. It, it was a very natural progression and fit. I yeah. just 
like all of you, I started working with kids from YBC when I was still a kid, right? Helping the little bantams when I was a senior, let's say. YBC is really old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was around, it's really old. Where did you play YBC? In Saskatoon at the KG. Now, nothing but a parking lot, but uh, at the KG. And right. then Motor Eastview. So as a teacher, were you, you had mentioned counseling. Were you a counselor in school too, or is that just some of the studies that you did? So what well, grades did you teach? Were you always the same? I did uh, counseling for all of one year. And I got out of it right away because it was not what I thought it was. Right. I wanted to be there to work one-on-one -on -one with kids and help them with whatever they were struggling with. And it turned out the vast majority of my time was built around scheduling <laughs> and making sure uh, kids had the schedule that they needed for the subjects they wanted and when they decided to drop a class, et cetera. It just was not, it wasn't the communication and the connecting that I was looking for. Right. So I was in the classroom. In fact, later on, I went and did my master's. And when I was finished my master's, I went into education as a uh, administrator. I stayed in administration for eight years, but I left because I needed to reach the kids more. I needed to be connected to the kids far more than I needed to be connected to the adults. Nice. So uh, anyway, and I'm glad I, I went back to do Was that. It, uh, you know, a specific subject that you, that you taught or, you know, grade? I taught uh, a third of my career was teaching primary grades and a third of it was teaching middle school. And a third of it was a, a mixture of admin plus um, doing release work, which would be phys ed typically. Right. Uh, across subjects, sometimes resource. But. Hmm. Nice. Now, you had, uh, and then the bowling school came to fruition. I, I remember the last podcast you had mentioned yeah. early when you had went to coach in Alberta one year. Yeah. And you came back and realized, I can do this in Saskatchewan. Yeah. 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 And I, I Quite frankly, and unfortunately, I felt I could do uh, a better job in terms of teaching the game, not because they didn't have the people in Alberta to do it, but because they weren't. They were doing it with a very strong recreational focus. And I, I believe of the, I don't even remember if I was there for two days or three days, but whatever it was, I think we were in the bowling center for three hours each day. And the rest of it was doing recreational stuff back at the campsite. So, yeah, that is a that is a stark difference from uh, from what your bowling school was. That's for sure. That was anyway, and I, and I I'm stuck on learning. That's I guess they school. Yeah, yeah, have. but 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 that's good. I mean, people go to your school because they want to get better, right? Right. They're not uh, they they want to go and have a good time for sure, but they go to that school because they want to get better and. Uh, the way to get better is to throw balls and have solid direction. And uh, I mean, we'd be in the bowling alley from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. when I was going to that school, and that's uh, that's a, that's a big difference from three hours in a bowling alley. Correct. Yeah. So basically, it was all about learning, and if and that's really my focus. I believe my job and my life goal has always been to serve people and help them be better at what they're doing in whatever modest way I can. And mm -hmm. the book uh, 
does that in some very small, modest way for the people that are out there and interested in the game. So when did you start writing books? I mean, obviously, we've got four um, bowling books. Um, what drew, I mean, obviously, you, you started writing early on and, and progressing and building that. Did that something that you always wanted to do and you knew that you were going to do was, was, was write books? No. <laughs> I wrote my first one. Uh, my first one was released in 1980. And it was on the encouragement of Al Hunter. And... I'd never even considered doing it before. I would not have even thought of it, but I did it. They sold 6,000 copies and uh, then I didn't write again. I didn't publish my second book until uh, 2000, 20 years later. Um, and that particular book I decided to self-publish. I think we sold uh, three, two, just over 2,000, between two and 2,500 copies of that. And then I wrote a small games and bowling, games and drills book, which essentially is quite a bit of some of the drills that are in the third book that I have, or this fourth book, if you like, um, where I've implemented a number of drills that I've used in this third book, and I've just simply transplanted them into the other book. So. Uh, it took seven years, though, to write, put this final. This one here, okay. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> when did you, like, you're starting this book. Um, what made you start the new version of it? You know, knowing that you just needed an update from the 2001, or what, what, what drove you to, to put well, it all on paper? When I was doing my master's research as a teacher, um, the thing that struck me, was the importance of storytelling to get your message across. And I believe every single time you want to make a, a message that's important anyway across, if you can make some kind of connection through a story, through the story that others tell you or through your own personal story, you're making a stronger connection with that individual. Anyway, a lot of the research that I did during my master's pointed me direction of the value of storytelling. Uh, and I thought I still had more to say, but to say it in the way of a storyteller. The other thing that struck me and, and really motivated me, which I, I probably, you know, if I wrote four more books, maybe I'd finally get it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and, that, and that is that any self-improvement I wanted to do, I would always go hunting down a book to read. But every single time I did that, I was going to tennis books, I was going to golf books, I was going to everything except five pin bowling books. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I believe what I've produced here does everything that any of these golf books that I've read on my own do to help people with their mental game, as well as their physical game through storytelling and through, you know, really productive uses of your time, really. Right. You're, you're, you're correct, though, Tom. I mean, I, we don't have a book in Fipe and other than yours that are published uh, for our sport. Um, I, maybe that's why I'm so terrible at every other sport, because I don't read books or 
I just look at photos, right? So, uh, <laughs> but, but but I mean, um, it's true though. I mean, we ha- we actually had a lady that was wanting to get better in our center just before COVID shut down, and we gave her Lane Logic, and mm-hmm. and she read it front to back, and she came out and she was way better, and she loved it. And uh, uh, so, I mean, twenty years ago, it's still relevant to her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just spoke with a gentleman who just became a Patreon today. It looks like on our. And uh, we had about a half an hour phone call, and uh, and he, they're they're absolutely excited about your book and what what you offer. So um, that's Ernie McClellan. I'm thinking you said, right? Tim? Yeah, yeah, Ernie. Yeah, Ernie. Yeah, and that's great because especially if Ernie, you know, somebody who's been around the game a long time in a coaching aspect, uh, you know, knows a ton. Super excited about reading a book from Tom. I mean, that's uh, that's saying lots for sure. Well, you yeah. know, I do want to make one really important inclusion here in what we're talking about my voice albeit you know maybe the the core voice in the book i wanted to be able to give more than just one side to the story of bowling and and self-improvement and so i invited people to join me by providing editorials we now have 31 different individuals across canada that have provided me with stories to put into that book. Two of you are on this screen right now, right, Perry and Dexter. And uh, all of those stories, some of them overlap, but they all tell it from a different angle and a different perspective. Some of those stories overlap in, in points that I've made, right? There's such a commonality. But when you can read from another person's perspective, all that does is enrich your learning. So mm-hmm. if you have a chance to, I think I just, I just quickly looked at, there's uh, four stories on lane adjusting in, in the editorial section, right? So just by reading those four different stories on lane adjusting, from Greg Pederitis to Bruce Mortar, Dexter, you're involved, uh, one other individual, Mine doesn't register with me right now, but all talking about lane adjusting and lane adjustment tactics, right? And every one of them speaks their own truth about that. That can only benefit absolutely everybody that reads them, right? You you can't go into any sport with a narrow perspective. So I think these editorials enrich anything I've done 30-fold because I've got 30 different people telling the story, right? That's that's a really good point, Tom. I mean, I think that I think that's um, the same as even going and playing. You know, you, you go to a, a national event and you're in a different bowling alley that you've never been in, and you're watching all these other people bowl. Um, let's say let's say you're struggling, but you can look around and you can see what other people are doing that are that's being successful. And I, I think that's really important that the learning never really ends, and um, you can take advice from other perspectives or other thought processes to try to figure out your own game or how to be successful yourself as well. Um, I I think the learning never, never ends. And it's really, it was really fun reading through this chapter because um, Mm -hmm. some things I don't, I don't practice and uh, I'm looking forward to actually going out and trying to practice certain things that I've never really messed around with a whole lot. So um, it was interesting reading this because even at, you know, the level that we all play at, uh, I, there are still things for me to learn. 
you know? Yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was crazy before we got on, we're just uh, chit-chatting here a little bit. And uh, uh, I, Terry wasn't, wasn't saying a whole lot. He would just listen to me and Daryl, like kind of in a little bit of our, our talks here. And uh, uh, there's obviously most of you guys know our listeners know my, my mind's like a squirrel a lot of the times. And, uh, and I, I got kind of, uh, it was kind of an awe of a couple of things that I was, uh, I don't know. I was just kind of, some things that you put in the, in that chapter you gave us, um, I'd never thought about, uh, especially with the hands and the fingers and the thumb. And, uh, I mean, I've been bowling for, I guess, 25 plus years now, and it took me 25 years to figure that out. Uh, so, so, I mean, um, it was, it was kind of cool that way to think about it that way. I just never thought about it that way. Right. So right. It, it's, it's neat that a book like that can come out there and, and I, I think we're all experienced on this podcast and we, we're still finding something that's relevant to us. Right. So let's chat about that a little bit, obviously go into that. Cause that's a, you know, Tim, you talk about grip, uh, yeah. Tom, can you, you know, give us a little tip or a little insight on, on that part of the chapter here um, that it was you, you're mentioning. Yeah. yeah, go for it. I believe one of the weaknesses in the, in the game uh, is, our lack of experimentation with our grip. If you think in terms of baseball, that's my best example, really. Um, they have all kinds of deliveries, all kinds of balls that they can throw. Every one of them are impacted by their grip, how they get the ball. We can do the very same thing. I remember back in the early 80s, before my Open Championship, I was experimenting with grip, and, and I just had like an aha moment about mm -hmm. how changing this one bit, I call it a weighted grip, and basically what I do is I take my index finger and I spread it apart from my middle finger so that the ball, as it sits in my hand, is more predisposed to falling off to the right, right, releasing it to the right. Or so that it would move to the right, releasing it straight, but having it roll off my hand and, and move as a backup to the right. And it provided me with a consistency in my release right away. It was noticeable right off the bat. And it also registered from a kinesthetic and imagery point of view by feel immediately. So I could get in my stance, feel comfortable with my grip right away. The same is if you if you move your hand lower down on the ball or higher up on the ball, things will change for you in terms of how the ball moves. Things will change if you spread the gap between your other fingers as well. Mm -hmm. But all of that is just in a process of experimentation though, truly, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I have a limited knowledge in what the effect of all of that is because I, I I limited myself to one change. I, my weighted grip was what worked for me invariably all the time. It was reliable and consistent. But so too was raising my hand higher up on the ball as well to give myself more opportunity to give it more rotation at release. I didn't do that very often, but it was there that I, it was one grip that I had practiced quite a bit as well. Uh, so even I had limited exposure to the idea, but I truly believe there's a wealth of knowledge for us to learn by 
experimenting with our grip. Yeah, yeah. if you don't mind, some of the things that you in the chapter where grips to experiment with include, you know, various depths of palming the ball, like okay. you said. Yeah, so right. hold it up on your fingers, right, more or let it sit down in your palm. Uh, they talk about palming the ball be, and and basically they'll tell you that if you're palming the ball, if you turn your hand over, the ball will fall out of your hand. Well, not necessarily. If you bend your wrist, it's, okay. it's out of your hand and there are bowlers that if you watch i think lonnie acres is one who when they bowl they have their wrist cocked a bit and yeah aaron art as well it helps yeah. get more rotation and stuff on the ball right i do believe that i don't have enough expertise to speak 100 with confidence that if you do this with your grip Beyond moving your hand on the ball, beyond holding it more shallow in your ball or deeper in your hand, you will affect change in how you how the ball goes down the lane, right? Ultimately, you need to start with a grip that's comfortable with you. And what's better, you know, you're not you're not you're not here, you know, professing that this is better and this is the best way to do it. You're just simply saying experiment it with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bend or fold a finger at the knuckle. Yes. Yeah. your grip you know that yeah. one yeah if you just make what you're doing then is you're making the other fingers in your hand work for you right totally. yeah that we're not saying go and do this if you've never bowled before right or you've just this is for the elite level bowler to sure. to experiment with and attempt to decide on does it work for you right is it something you're comfortable doing it's like saying um, to somebody, well, I think you should throw a, a five-inch ball, and as soon as they pick it up, it feels horribly uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what, what about the, the, the mush ball, the reverse grip, grip you were mentioning about? Yeah, that was crazy. You know, the mush ball, the reverse grip, the Frank Levine ball, <laughs> as, you, as I like to think of it anyway, I think it's a really good teaching tool. Because you can recognize when you talk about lane adjustment, you can also recognize how the ball moves down the lane. Because when you throw a ball down the lane, first it, it kind of skids and it just goes, right? Then as it collects its friction on the lane, it starts, it reaches what I call a breaking point mm -hmm. where it starts to break off line, left to right, whatever you've thrown. Then it gets to a place where I call it tracking, it tracks into the pins. It's no longer breaking more, it's mm -hmm. just going straight, but on a new path, right? On that new path that you've created by the spin you put on the ball. Right? Yeah. Well, if you throw a mush ball, which is like this, all right? When you throw a mush ball and use a like a tiger stripe ball, a ball that has stripes on it, you can watch the rotation go and you can clearly see when that tracking stops, when the skidding stops, when the breaking point is reached, and when it starts to track again, because there will be three definite changes in the movement of that ball down the lane. It'll mm -hmm. be going straight, but it'll still do that because that mush ball or that backup release ball, okay, or like this, okay, when it's skidding down the lane, it's spinning backwards. When it reaches its breaking point, it's almost seems like it's stopped for an 
infinite moment, a tiny little moment in time, and then it starts to track where it's rolling forward again, right? So mm-hmm. it really helps you be aware of the movement of your ball. Frank Levine was the star of five pin in the 70s and 80s, and he threw a mush ball. I would never teach a mush ball. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody throw with that anymore? Uh, uh, you see some soft belly duck pin up big time. Yeah, yeah. You see some Quebecers that come out. Um, out, out West still play with a little bit, but it's few and far between now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's hard with the way the like the lanes are now, and especially with like the new bands and the new bases and stuff. Um, a little bit of extra speed is is better, and it's it's really not easy to get a fair amount of speed with yeah. with the mush ball. <laughs> yeah, I I seem to recall at tournaments Tom Stevenson when he'd be goofing around, he would be doing little antics with his mush ball deliveries, right? That were yeah, very neat, but. But it's a really great te- teaching tool for being aware of how your ball moves down the lane. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. Uh, I it, yeah, it's we we we've messed around with it a bunch of times. I think we've all have, and it, it takes quite skill. Um, yep. And usually, all the pins when you throw a strike, all the pins stay on the deck too, right? It, they they don't explode or anywhere else. So it's yeah, that's yeah. good to see a couple of people in the comments mentioning people that still bowl in that way. That's cool, Martin. That uh, some players from Gatineau, Derek Williams, Chelsea, you had mentioned, but yeah, oh yeah, interesting. Um, Tom, I know, I know. Uh, talking about the chapter you gave us, chapter two, um, it talks about uh, mental preparedness as well, right? Um, obviously, Daryl mentioned um, pre-shot. Well, he mentioned about follow through, but pre-shot routine is one of the biggest things you've always, uh, if you've ever been to a bowling school with you, it's one of the biggest things that you always harped on. Yeah. Um, the one of the biggest things I read on, what I really enjoyed was uh, walking with, with a purposeful intent. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of neat when you put it in there. Um, and uh, I guess when you, when we've all been there and it kind of maybe in, in our mojo before we've all had that purposeful intent before, I guess mm-hmm. with a walk and, and, but we just haven't noticed it, I guess yeah. um, in, in a way. Um, and maybe that's something where we have to, it's part of our pre-shot routine and maybe part of our mental game a little bit more. Um, just, just cause it, it maybe keeps us in, in the zone a little bit um, when you're playing well, you you're always in that purposeful uh, walk and, and purposeful mindset. But when you're struggling, obviously your mind's not there. Um, never really thought about it. And then you brought up about uh, the pro tour events, such as like the golf. And you, when you watch these guys walk from shot from the T box to their fairway and stuff like that, you yeah. see a lot of it. It was, it was a kind of a great analogy to that. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, you people have probably and many of the listeners have gone to watch professional golfers. When when I was in Maui, we particularly chose to go for a holiday to Maui during their golf tournament when the PGA was there the first week of January. And I volunteered on that course. Oh, and I got to stand on uh, the first part three hole with a laser gun. <laughs> and my job was just simply to, to measure the speed of the ball as it was hit with the players. And they would frequently end up just off the side of the green or the fairway where I was standing. And we, we'd get to be right 
you know, literally feet away from each other. And I, I noticed every single one of them, all right, after they hit that ball from back at the tee box, there was a little looser moment for them, right? But probably within the last 50 feet walking up to that ball, you could see they were changing their focus. They were becoming more purposeful about where they were going and they were rehearsing. I would bet that they were rehearsing probably within 10, 15 seconds after hitting the ball because research has shown that in terms of imagery and capturing the feel and trying to use imagery to help you detect and correct flaws, research has shown that within the first 10 to 15 seconds, your memory is the freshest for being able to give you an unadulterated version of what felt right and what went wrong. If you wait longer than that to try and analyze, other stuff comes in and starts interfering with the data that you collect. The image isn't as pure. So I would bet that within 10, 15 seconds after they hit the ball, they're already starting to analyze and think through if there were any corrections, right, that they needed to do. But clearly within the last 50 feet approaching that ball, you could see that they were walking with a purposeful intent, right? They were. They, you never saw them chatting with their caddy. They were online to go and do their one thing, right? There would be rare exception when for reasons known to themselves, they started to question whether their shot was going to work or not or needed a new club, right? But uh, I, I found that very interesting. And I, I also found it very affirming because it affirmed what I believed was natural and, and important in terms of productively using your time. So a, translate that, you do that a bit in here in the chapter, translate that into five pin bowling and into recommendations for walking with purposeful intent and, and part of that pre-shot routine and, and some of those little things you had talked about, you know, taking a drink or having a snack. Um, you, you talked about productive response and unproductive response. Can you share some of the insight on, on those topics? No, let, let's start. Let's um, let me dabble into cross crossover into a couple of other chapters in, in the process. Sure. Uh, so imagine you're going into a tournament, right? You have a tournament on Sunday that you're going to go into. And and you've been rehearsing, excuse me, what that's going to feel like and all that stuff. And you pull up to the bowling center. As soon as you open the door, as soon as you think about arriving at that center, you want to be feeling really glad to be there. You know, have... Have the motivation, have the feeling of really being grateful to be there, but very glad to be there and have this opportunity, right? Rather than walking up to the door and wondering, well, I wonder how today is going to go, <laughs> you know, or ten or fifteen spots, right? Um, I got to, oh, the cut mark looks like it's twenty one hundred, and well, no, those things are irrelevant. They're not going to help you any. Come to the bowling center, opening that door with that that real grateful sense of purpose, right? Walk in to that bowling center 
knowing that you have you have what I call a pre-arrival period where you're walking in and you find a place for your shoes and your coat, you put it down. These seem pretty ordinary, right? But imagine if you're doing it with the intent of helping you remain focused. Instead of just wandering in, wandering into the bowling center and case rasara, what will be will be, right? So walking in knowing that I'm going to go find a place for my shoes, my bag, my coat. I'm also going to find a place for me to call home, my home base, where if I am restless or or distracted, I can go and find my own little peace. All right? So that's my pre-arrival stuff. Once I've done that, I'm in arrival mode now. And my arrival mode is putting on my shoes, my balls on, uh, on the lane that I know that I'm going on to. And then I'm going to be doing the stretches, but I will do dry runs down the lanes, sideways, you know, as in laterally across the lanes or maybe back and forth on the lane that I'm going to bowl on as well as the lanes on each side of me, you know, down the whole bowling center to get a feel for what my execution is like with and without a ball and not throwing the ball down the lane, obviously, right? Just to get a feel for it. And then I'm coming back sitting down, taking a break. I might walk around, but I'm not looking for conversation, guys. Uh, I, I just am, and I'm sorry I speak as if I'm doing it now, but I, I haven't a dozen years, but it's as clear in my mind now as it ever was. So I'm now giving myself a break to just walk around again. I arrive at the bowling center half an hour before the the thing starts. I walk around for five minutes again, but with purposeful intent. And I'm rehearsing what it feels like to throw my best ball. I'm rehearsing what it feels like to throw my best ball emotionally, intellectually, physically. All right. Uh, And then after that five minutes or so, I come back and I go through the ritual of throwing the ball again. By then, the lanes are on. And I'm ready to actually do a more of a progressive practice routine, right? I get to throw at pins now, okay? But I've used my time very wisely and very productively, and it's a process so that that there's no wasted time searching to find out when I'm ready, all right? I'm ready to bowl when the first frame starts. Lynn Howell, in one of in his editorial, he writes about how people have um, practice mode, right? The, you come and practice, oh, everything feels great, and then <laughs> the wheels fall yeah. in the fifth frame. Well, that's because your thought process has changed. That's really, in essence, that's why. You were thrown freely. Now you're not. Well, yeah, your thought process has changed. Anyway, the system that I employ helps me assure that when the game starts, I'm ready. And it's a process. It it saves me from being rushed, right? It gives me a place, a safe place to go if I'm distracted because there are things that would distract me. People that are... uh, typically more vibrant or boisterous on a lane. 
could tend to distract me. And I would want to go somewhere away from that. And I would have that predefined space. I'd have one, maybe two spots that I knew. I'd have two if I thought, well, looks like this place is pretty busy. I might not not work all the time, right? Mm. Anyway, that would help me get ready to play the game. Now, I'm sorry, Daryl. <laughs> no, I think that, that that was great. I mean, that's setting up the stage from the um, pre-shot routine, but even more than just throwing the ball, part of your, it's my frame, it's my turn to go. You're setting the stage from a, when you're ready to even get to the bowling alley, you yes. know, when the pre-shot routine had started for you, and that's your advice that you're giving. Um, part of my question was talking about productive response and unproductive responses that you had mentioned in your chapter. Okay, so give me a clue. What was one of the unproductive responses? Yeah, so the unproductive responses are, <laughs> yeah, disruptions to the quality of your preparation, right? right. So things that are, um, you know, judging if it's a pass or a fail, right or wrong, good yeah. or bad. That's yeah. an unproductive response. Um, right. Looking for errors. Um, Im- imagery that is distracting by thinking instead of feeling. Those were unproductive responses. Yes, right. Versus productive responses that you had mentioned were, the feeling with clarity and calmness, the execution of your shot. Um, Every ball is thrown with the best intent. So let go of whatever might be distracting you and just bowl. Yeah. You know, having one thought hit your spot, basic and simple. So you're broken down that, that part of, of, you know, the feeling and the thinking and stuff and and not letting the negative in. And some of the gave some advice on some of the productive things that somebody could think about. I believe that, You know, some people talk about being positive, right? I don't talk about being positive. I talk about being productive. To think positive means that there's a flip side that isn't positive. Well, no. I believe in what – I'm not sure – I don't think Chapter 2 talks about game plan, but the first chapter talks about my game plan, and uh, which is some of what I just shared, right? But when it comes to pre-shot routine – we're talking about just when you're on the lane, right? Just the, the moment you pick up the ball. Anyway, best effort I want to just touch on. I believe that we all set out to be successful every single time. I don't care if you're the student in my grade five classroom, my grade two classroom. I don't care if you're a young person or an old person I'm helping with bowling. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay, I don't believe at any point in time it, we set out to fail. It just doesn't make sense to be that way. I believe we set out to do our best each time. Along the way, we make decisions that we think are going to help us with that. And sometimes those decisions work and sometimes they don't. That's part of learning, right? And then we go along and we get to a place where we have to accept we come to accept that, yes, I am going to give my best effort. There's no question about it. I have no idea what it's going to be. I don't know if I'm going to, the result, I don't know what the result is going to be, but I know what my best effort is going to feel like and what it looks like to me, all right? And then I accept that that's truly the case, and that allows me to just trust and just throw the ball. So... Part of my game plan was to have an objective perspective to analysis, to have a business plan, 
in my preparation, when I need to make, to make productive decisions. And Daryl, you mentioned a, a list of them. And to use what I call best effort, which I've just briefly touched on, right? I believe I struggled when I was uh, oh, in my well, teens and, and early 20s. I struggled a great deal with having to live up to standards that were basically impossible, right? Standards held by other people. And um, eventually through sports psychology, uh, working with a sports psychologist, I came up with a game plan, what I've shared here. Uh, I've came up with this concept of best effort. And ever since probably the early 90s, I became able to execute my plan, my game plan, without all the other baggage of emotion. Right? Things still mattered to me, but I was able to handle distractions and stress much better because of my game plan and because of my concept and my philosophy about best effort. Um, it really helped me feel at peace with myself. And so in my brain anyway, I think my game plan and my uh, concept of best effort that I talk about in chapter one and then again in chapter three, I believe, under practice, um, really is one of the core foundations of being able to enjoy self-improvement. Some of the, um, you had talked about the typical habits uh, between frames, you know, and this is a question to, you know, you, Dex, Tim, and, and Carrie as well. Um, can you tell us some of the, you know, productive or the better things that you do between frames, whether it's, you know, going and talking to people, being a pacer, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. sitting in your chair and having a drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you know, some of the, some of those things that were, were, were in the, between the frames you had mentioned about Tom and your game, but... We, have this, we could call this dead time, if you like, but it's that time frame in between frames, right? Yeah. Where um, oftentimes what you'll see is people just wandering around looking for conversation or they'll go and have a drink. For instance, uh, during the, the various um, side tournaments that they have at a tournament on the Thursday or the Friday, right? there's not the same focused intent that you will find when match play starts on Sunday, right? The match play on Sunday, there's a lot of purposeful intent. <laughs> there's a lot of purposeful walking and mm -hmm. all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But why are we waiting till Sunday <laughs> to do that? Why are we not having these habits that we use all the time? So for example, I believe it's unproductive to get engage with somebody in a conversation that is not light. If your conversation is going to get deep, you're setting yourself up to be distracted from your game, right? If you are um, constantly looking for something out of your bag because you can't remember where you left it or you can't remember if you caught everything in your bag that you wanted, 
well, that's kind of, you're setting yourself up again to have more unproductive time. Uh, conversations with other people, where your eyes are is typically where your mind goes. So if your mind, or if your eyes are watching other competitors, the tendency is to be less productive. The tendency is that you will get distracted by that. The tendency is that if you are feeling pressure, and pressure is always a, a subjective thing that you only feel. You know, if I'm playing well, I can look at everything under the sun and it's not going to bother me, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> However, if I don't have if I don't have a productive routine, then I'm going to be vacillating back and forth and in between different modalities of being focused on what my job is. So, um, Gary, what about you? What so what do you do, you know, in terms of your championship runs? Do you feel yourself going into those purposeful intents and what are some of those things that you might be doing? Yeah, you know, so I think, uh, I think one of the best examples I can give you is um, several years ago, Debbie Boswell and Tom Stevenson asked me to join them on a four-player event uh, during the Chinook tournament with Mark Jackson and Tom Stevenson, Debbie Boswell, and myself. Okay. A, few, a few years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> Long time ago, few. I think you were probably a bantam then. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Long time ago. I know. Sorry. Anyway, I'm 86 years old, so give me a break. Anyway, so we're bowling in this event. I was just thrilled the pieces that I got called to bowl with them. I, in my wildest dreams, I never expected that anybody would have called me to come and play with them. But it was just a thrill to be able to do that. So I'm bowling. But I have this habit of backing off the lane after each ball or backing up if I need a second ball and never turning around, right? And <laughs> I can't remember exactly what happened, but either Tom, I think Tom did, because he's Probably. I'm sure he, anyway, he cornered me as I was coming off the lane or something, right? And said something, and it dawned on me, oh, oh yeah, this is a team event. <laughs> <laughs> and I have always struggled with fitting in on a team event because my game plan is so focused on just being in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would come back, and, and typically when I come back off a lane, my mind is right away do I need to detect and correct anything? And if not, fine. I just keep replaying in my mind, throwing my very best ball. And I'll sit on the bench like a <laughs> zombie almost, right, with my head down maybe and just ignoring everything around me. And it, it it's not a very good team. <laughs> it's yeah. the only way I learned to be able to keep my mind where I wanted it to be, right? I never learned to be a really good team bowler. Um, and, and I can explain that through reasons related to my growing up, but I never, when Tom triggered me and said, Patterson, this is like a team event, you know, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> something to that effect right I said, oh yeah okay it's not that i can't be light while i'm bowling but it's just difficult for me to stay in that team mode so anyway my productivity 
um, is to just take all those distractions away, looking at the score, uh, looking at the opposition, looking at people in general. Um, my eyes were typically down and not looking around at all, unless there was some reason for doing that. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, Tom. You're kind of mentioning um, why the productivity or productivity doesn't follow um, on a Saturday as much as it does on a Sunday. And that may be a product, and I'll touch on it from the WCBT side of it, that may be a product of the WCBT, right? Mm-hmm. The events are set up for top 32s or top 40s. There's no carryover scores. There's no real benefit to being the top qualifier compared to the 31st qualifier. Besides, if you're playing in some doubles pots and, and maybe top qualifier gets an extra 100 bucks or something like that. But there was there was really no benefit. And a few years ago, the the talent pool or the depth of the field wasn't quite as good as it is now like now i think you on a saturday friday or even a thursday shift now you have to be engaged the whole time so i think that productivity level is definitely gonna come back to the sport um but i can talk from experience back in 2014 2013 you showed up at the lanes on the saturday and you played your 260 average and you made the cut it was simple as that so there wasn't really a lot of process in the process because I could play 260 in league. I should be able to play 260 in the qualifier. But now um, I think you're going you're gonna to see that, uh, that process come back on a Saturday qualifying shift or, like I said, the Friday, the Thursday, because making top 32 is extremely tough in all these events because it's usually higher than what you average. Well, and I – but – I think it's important for our athletes to understand, at least from my perspective anyway, paying attention to what the cut is, paying attention to what you think you need to qualify, has no real value. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I agree with I, your mind on your game and how you're going to throw the ball. I uh I, I think I, we, Carrie and I and Dex talked about this years ago when my struggle with masters, when I couldn't make a masters team in my life dependent on it. I was like, you go for a, you knew what the cut was and you should be able to throw 2,100. You used to be able, you had that in your, in your head. And with masters, it was a different score altogether. Um, you just had to throw your game right now. Um, trying to go into a place like say golden mile shooting 22 and a half sometimes or whatever it is. That's a that's a pretty big lump sum in your head. You have to think in your and your, your room for error. You're, you're thinking is if I if I miss this four bagger for a five bagger, you're that's one less shot away from what your total is. It's a totally different feeling, right? Yes. Instead of just playing for your game. But yeah. I, I think um, in the like when you're talking about in the moment on on things, um, I it's totally I don't know. It's totally different. Like. Uh, I wish I knew, I wish I can keep when I'm playing well and, and my routines the same when I'm then when I'm, when I'm maybe not as sharp as what I am on those other times. Does that, does that make sense? If if I look back and I say, you know what, when I was playing super well and I shot that 2,400 during masters, I had the same routine, whether I was trying to or not, 
right? I had the same routine every single time, but I was just in that zone, right? Yeah. Um, but I also think it for me personally, and where as a player, I have to be better um, because a lot of the time, say, you know what, um, when you're playing an event, say I'm playing a Masters or an early morning, Saturday morning shift, or maybe a Friday morning shift, sometimes it's three and three on a lane. So I, I let's, let's say the difference between your, your turn or your ball, it's a lot different than playing maybe a Friday afternoon shift or a Saturday afternoon shift when it's five and five on a lane. And so your time between those two shifts, your uh, between balls, it's a lot longer for when your mind wanders. And if you're talking about, okay, where your where your spot is, Tom, where you're going to be able to sit and focus, and 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 then you have to look at okay, if you're at Golden Mile, like we've talked about in the past, um, instead of having 48 people in your area on a smaller shift, when you have 80 people, and there's a lot of other people that are spectating and drinking and watching you don't have that space where you don't have that own time. Right. So um, it's up to me where I have to figure out, like I said, like I'm a squirrel and I have to figure out myself is how am I going to be able to figure out how to keep my routine the same every time um, and keep myself focused every time, whether it's going to be, you know, maybe 30 seconds a ball between turns or maybe as a minute between turns or um, two minutes between turns. Right. And and that's, and that's a huge difference between events for me. Right. And maybe that's why I'm a little bit better at masters. Um, Maybe not. Uh, Sorry. Are you saying because of the pace? I, 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 I I think sometimes person I'm, I'm I, it's not so much pace. I think I, I try to, I try to, but I, I struggle with sometimes like, I mean, I mean, I still shoot my 2100s, 21 and a half. I don't maybe shoot the super high scores, but I, I, I do struggle with, with focus sometimes, right? Because um, if I'm sitting there uh, an hour a game playing seven and a half hour shift, um, it's, it's super mentally draining a lot of the times. And then you have to think about yourself 22 and a half. Okay. So, Tim, I hate to be a pain in the butt here, but yeah. I want to just jump in here. All right. Yeah. I'm glad that you're mentally tired. Yeah, because that's telling me that you are paying attention to your game. Yeah, and that it's five to a lane. All right. Yes, but you're going into that knowing that you could be playing five to a lane. Part of your role playing in advance of coming to the event mm-hmm. is understanding that the pace of the event could be different. And here's what I'm going to do when that's the case. Right. I'm going to get away, go for walks. I'm going to listen to my music or, you know, the things that do you well in terms of helping you stay calm, right? Yeah. And collected. Tom, Tom, just before we move on, um, Tim walking seven and a half hours, not happening. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I saw it, a question from, uh, from Brett asking about Tim and his doesn't look like he really wants to bowl anymore or play anymore. No, he, he looks he's bored busy. when he's playing. <laughs> it, it's bored. funny we we talk about all of this, and um, I think I'm uh, I'm not a really great example for a lot of this because there's there's a and you're gonna disagree with me, I'm sure, but there's there's a big part of my game that I do a lot to actually distract myself. 
Um, and it's just like a, a bit of a, a mental reprieve after every sort of frame. Um, you don't you you try to avoid talking to people. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm the I'm the person that likes to chat with people most of the time. Most of the time, it's always somebody that's um, neutral, yeah. someone that's not playing at that time. Yeah. Um, it, when you're talking about uh, keeping it light, I completely understand that. I don't want to be having some deep conversation and be thinking about that when I'm up on the lane. But in, in between frames, I'm a person that usually has somebody that I'm chatting to during that game that's not bowling at that time and just having casual conversation. And then when it does become my, my turn or just before that, that's when everything kind of switches over and I go down and I start going with the purpose, the purpose, like walking with purpose. But I, I really have in the last number of years built in a period of time where I allow myself to mentally relax and then, and then get back into it. I've, I've done all the, the um, analytic you, side of it um, already. Here's Sorry? my question for you. Here's yep. my question for you. Um, do you, play a qualifying round the same way you play your match play yes good that's important that's part of having your game plan and what what i hear you saying is you have a busy mind all right and that's okay i mean uh there's nothing wrong with having a busy mind and and the 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 most beneficial thing here is you recognizing that and you've had strategies that help you stay calm. What you're choosing to do is really all about helping you stay calm. Yes. So that you cannot be distracted by other things. You know? yeah. it, it allows me to have my moment up on the lane where I am calm. I'm focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. But if I spend all that time sitting back at the end of the lanes and constantly focusing on that, yeah. um, it, I haven't been successful doing it and and it's just it just I'm a lighthearted casual sort of person and if I sit there and I try to focus too hard on anything for too long it just becomes counterproductive for me. So I, I have to give myself a bit of a release in between. And yeah. yeah, I absolutely do play both the same. If you ever watch me in the finals for anything, I always have somebody there that I'm chatting with pretty much nonstop in a casual way too though, right? You're not you're not talking about the bowling, you're talking about I will very rarely talk about what I did on my last shot or anything like that. It's usually something to do with hockey or some sports or something completely different to what I'm doing at that moment, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's just set up a little something. I know we had talked about Jen Haas. Um, she was going to come on at some point, and we were going to talk about schools, and we thought about playing What's My Score. Uh, and we're going to get to you. Stick with us. We've still got a little bit of time here with Tom we want to talk about. We're going to scrap what's my score tonight, people, because there's still plenty of stuff happening with Tom's book. The uh, Tom doesn't really want to do math anyways. We know how we did last time. <laughs> yeah. wasn't very good, yeah. I know you were dying to play what's my score out there, but um, we're, we're not going to play that tonight. And all the screens are going blank now. Yeah, they're <laughs> gone. Um, but we're going to keep going here. Jen, will give us 15, 20 minutes, keep going here, and then we'll talk about some of the school stuff that uh, you've been working on. So I know people are, are looking forward to chat about that. So, um, Tom, back to the book a little bit. Um, you had mentioned in your some of the drills, um, some of the, the throwing and the vertical lift drill, the lateral lift drill. Um, you know, and without giving everything away, can you share a little bit about some of the drills that you people can be working on to, to work on lift? That's that's really important for you and your teachings as well. Well, when you 
what, let's let's prefix this first. All right. Um, the most important skill set any athlete in the game can have is the quality of their follow through. If you understand what the quality of follow through looks like, and you move towards adopting that into your approach and delivery, you will have a more solid, more consistent approach and delivery, and hence you will score better, more consistently. Okay. Having said that. There are really only three things that can go wrong with your game. Speed, lift, and rotation. That's it. This game's really simple. It's not complicated. Speed, lift, and rotation. Okay? Um, Bruce Mortar, just to throw it in here, when he was talking about lane adjusting, he said first thing he does is he changes ball rotation. All right? That's not necessarily true for everybody else. The simpler route would be, to move on your lane, to change your geometric angle. But not everybody does that, right? It's not always the best fit. For him, it is the best fit. So uh, what was your question? <laughs> yeah, talking, talking about the different drills. In the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm a senior. Oh, I'm good. A, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the lift drills that you can do are all centered around helping you with your follow-through. So everybody here is, I think, familiar, and everybody that's um, online is familiar with the so-called towel drill. You put towel down on the lane, and you throw it out in the lane. The idea is you get the ball out over top of the towel. Well, if you get yourself a foam block, which is about three or four inches high, and set it out there, then you can also measure how well you're getting down on the lane. Do you? And really, part of what lift could be <coughs> – if someone isn't getting down low enough, their goal could be to actually hit that piece of foam, right? Mm -hmm. Three or four inches off the lane. <clears throat> Excuse me. You could also take a, a piece of plastic. Yeah. Do you remember this, boys, from uh, bowling school? We hold a piece of plastic out over the lane, and your job is to get it out over the towel, over the foam block, and underneath <laughs> plastic that is further out. The idea is that when we lift the ball out, not only are we lifting it out on the lane, but we're reaching towards our target with our body as well. <clears throat> the other aspect that is probably about 20 years old now, but we lay a piece of paper down on the lane. We tape it down on the lane that goes from the foul line to the arrows, just short of the arrows. And you're throwing for strikes. While you're throwing for strikes, we're marking the balls that you get strikes on. And we're also marking where you don't. Okay? But the most important thing is for us to mark where you're getting strikes. Yeah. What you're doing is identifying the ideal lift for you. All right? So that you can come away knowing oh, when I'm throwing a productive ball, my ball is landing three feet, two feet, one foot, whatever it is, out on the lane. Then we can take a look at the consistency of that patch of hits, right? Well, when any of you gentlemen do this, your consistency of doing this, those clusters are all going to form in a tight little group, rather narrow, <laughs> all right? 
And Tim saying, no way. No way. <laughs> Tim needs a map to the foul line. That's all he's saying. Christian <laughs> <laughs> bowlers have a specific area where their ball lands. All right. You can take um, a piece of rubber or, if you like, a piece of paper, cut out the middle so that you're framing it like a picture frame, you know, and lay it down where you expect to land the ball and then throw with that tape down on the lane now with the idea that you're going to land the ball into that target space, all right? Now, you can't purposely go about doing that. You don't think about doing that. You just throw naturally, but you're examining your lift, and it's one of those feedbacks that tell you, yes, I am getting the ball out, and when I am, it feels this way. All right? right. So before we go, um, Carrie, there is how many people in the comments, if you don't mind, how much do you practice? Are you going to a center and practicing? Is it just before league you're doing some warm-up? Or are you actually going and practicing for an hour and maybe working on these drills um, in a month? So I'd just like to see some feedback from people in the comments that are listening is how much are you actually practicing? Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah pre-COVID. In a perfect world. Are you practicing? Or are you just going and playing your games and then you're going home, right? I think that that's somewhat of a separator. Yeah, Period. Sure. Um, so Tom, like, kind of those drills seem more geared towards i guess your higher end players how would a so what would be a quick fix if you can answer this for um like let's say a 210 player what's a quick fix for them to get the ball out on the lane well it depends what i'm seeing when they're throwing the ball but uh, i would most definitely start with putting my foam brick about a foot out on the lane depending on how uh, fast they deliver the ball, depending on what my feedback is from watching that says, oh, they don't get the ball out very far on the lane at all, uh, and don't, whether I want that to happen, right? But I would lay, I would, I would over-accentuate how far I put that so that they can get a kinesthetic feel for what it's like to get the ball out in the lane. So you exaggerate the drill so that the person doing it can get kinesthetic feel for what the difference is so they so, can create a difference with the norm right right so you're you're um correlating it with them just thinking about getting the ball out farther not at physically making a change to get the ball out farther uh, we can physically make a change to get the ball out the lane by bending our knee more bending our knee more will help us get the ball out in the lane our legs provide us with a lot of power that can transfer into our body and our arm. So we can get the ball out in the lane more by, by bending our leg more, okay? We can get the ball out in the lane just simply by moving the, uh, oftentimes just moving that foam block a uh, foot or two feet out on the lane can help, right? right? People that are getting the ball too far out the lane um, or let's, no, let's back up the horse here. People that are, <laughs> Throwing it from too high an elevation, right? Not getting down low enough. I can get them to do what I call a quiet drill, which is them standing at the end of the approach. And they buffer their sliding leg up against the end of the approach. And they're going to do basically a one-step drill. 
They're going to slide and throw the ball onto the lane surface, not the lane itself, but on the approach that you walk on. And their job is to throw the ball as quietly as they can. To do that, they have to bend. <laughs> they have to bend a lot compared to what they typically would do, right? Mm -hmm. Get it out too far. Uh, not too far out in the lane, but from too high an elevation, right? Yeah. So that's one drill for that. No, I, I th that's a great insight because I know there's uh, quite a few people over the, over the 80 podcasts that have asked questions like that how do I stop bouncing the ball or how do I stop from throwing the ball into the foul line or dropping it at my toes? So um, getting your insight into that on uh, maybe simple fixes is, is definitely hopefully what they're looking for. I think dropping the ball into the lane, the easiest fix is really just moving uh, foam brick further out on the lane, right? So that they have to get it out over that. Right. I I like the foam brick because you can lay it down and it's only maybe half an inch high, let's say, so they can still get it over. But it, it's just a lot easier uh, to do multiple things with it uh, versus having a bunch of towels that you use. So, mm -hmm. Some good comments there from people telling us about how much they practice pre-COVID. Um, a bit of variance, obviously, some of it would be, you know, if it's a tournament coming up, they're going to go play. Some of them are practicing quite frequent, which is great. Um, Gino had a question though, Tom, um, which wouldn't you say the lift has a variance depending on foot speed and arm swing? Uh, if you tend to go fast, you might have the ball out in the lane more. You may, but not necessarily. That's fair. Yeah. Fast, get the ball out in the lane more. Some don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, Typically, you, I would believe you would expect that they would get the ball out in the lane more, but not necessarily. And when they do get the ball out in the lane more, importantly, that it's down low, that they're not doing it from a higher elevation, right? That they are bending their knee, getting down, and lifting it further out onto the lane. Uh, people that throw uh, medium speed can get the ball out in the lane as far as someone that throws really fast, just by how much they bend their knee. Totally. That's an easy, that's an easy answer, Ryan. No, <laughs> don't, yeah, don't live in Thompson. That, that's the answer. <laughs> no, no, keep, yeah. keep supporting your local center, Ryan. That's what we need. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's important for people to get some practice in and test these different drills and test the different lifts and test the different grips uh, and whatnot. Um, last point I want to make or chat about with Tom on your on the chapter anyways. Um, specific one is, and a lot of people participated in that, and is the surveys. You had 200 somewhat people that participated in a survey with you regarding varying different, um, you know, backup styles, throwing a straight ball. Yeah. Uh, any any glaring sort of things that you noticed from there that you wanted to share with uh, with the podcast? <laughs> uh, well, the vast, the majority of bowlers, as they become more proficient, throw a backup ball majority however having said that it doesn't matter whether you throw a curve or a backup what matters is consistency and that comes through practice um what i did notice let's talk uh one of the one of the so-called interesting conversations had to do with pocket bowling mm -hmm. I, i'm a proponent of 
knowing what pocket you're hitting. Not because you purposely plan it, by the way, but because through your own experience, you've learned that this is the pocket I'm hitting on. And so when I'm not hitting on that pocket, something's gone wacky somewhere. Anyway, here's an interesting point. I believe pocket bowling is a simple thing. It's not complicated. It's just a matter of adjusting your line to put the ball in a particular pocket. From there, you can experiment with rotation and lift and that sort of stuff to maybe help you get past having more quarter pins or something. But it can be as simple as just a, a lane adjustment to be in a pocket. Mm -hmm. um, however, interestingly on the survey, when I asked people when they shoot for the two and the three, when they shoot for their spares, what are they aiming at? <laughs> All, so many of these people that were anti-pocket bowling, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, you know, turn around and tell me through the survey that they specifically <laughs> aim for a particular spot to get the two and the three shot, chop on the left side or to spare the five, three, two that's standing on the right side. All right. And I find that rather ironic. Right? Yeah. Uh, in, in one breath, they're saying, no, I'm not a pocket bowler. And the other breath, they're saying, yes, I am. <laughs> so I found that rather ironic that that was there. Um, and and it, it's difficult to all kind of balance. Well, what, how could that ever happen? But um, there is some rationale I share in the book that helps explain my belief around that whole concept. I do want to, if, if it's okay, I just want to touch briefly on practice. Yep. It's really simple. There are exceptions to the rule always, but practice pays. And for some of us, it's like going into a math test. For some of us, we have to study more than others. You know, practice is how you get better. If you want to become the best at the game, you will put in more time practicing. If all you do, all you want is uh, be one of the game, fit in, uh, be able to be competitive, as Lynn Howell says in his article, do you want to be competitive or do you want to win, right? So um, uh, Nathan Cooper touches on the same thing about your attitude, about wanting to bowl um, and, and be competitive with your mind source where you're focused. So practice pays. You need to do it to get better. If you only want to improve your average 10 points, then yeah, you don't have to practice as much. The game's simple. But if you want to reach a place where you can compete with the best, then you need to be in the lanes more. And it's a long-term process. You don't, uh, if you're averaging 180, you could average 220 relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But if you're averaging 220 and you want to go to 250, it's going to take you some time. It'll take practice. Now, the best way of doing that is to show up on a regular consistent basis and practice. End of story. Awesome. Great advice. Is it wrong that every time we say the word practice, all I think about is Alan Iverson? AI? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Jerry, you want to queue up uh, Jen Host here? Yeah, we'll bring her in if she's ready here. Perfect. Hi, Hi. Jen. How's it going? Good. Hi, Jen. I know her. <laughs> <laughs> we love the uh, loved all the comments that you're consistently being in the in the comment section. So it's like, let's get her on. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk face to face. Absolutely. Yeah, I talk a lot, so. <laughs> So you're like when we when we asked you to come on for this, you were yeah you're in right? Yeah, absolutely. I love this. Um, something that we wanted to chat with you about in a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about you know Tim talking to schools in uh, in Edmonton area and Alberta and and something, and there's some random comments out there, and then and you had mentioned somebody had mentioned all the work that you're doing with Saskatchewan schools. Mm-hmm. Um, can we dive into that a little bit? Tell us a little bit sure. about what you're doing and how it's working and, you know, maybe some examples and what other provinces can do to to jump on board. Yeah, for sure. Um, We're kind of in just like a pilot project um, phase right now. So we started it just kind of um, in the school I teach at right now, just talking about, okay, how can we make this related to the Saskatchewan curriculum so that it would be easy for teachers to teach in schools that have no bowling background. Um, So we just wanna make it really simple, but at the same time, really fun for the kids and really interesting. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna come at this from somebody that really doesn't know the sport um, and just look at what's out there already. So we kind of looked at, um, I know I talked to Tom about that learn to bowl program and what they've had out there in the past um, and just kind of what the kids are interested in. So I talked. So the kids just went to the school and talked to a lot of the kids. I had tried doing this a couple times in the past, just at other schools that I was at. Uh, one year it was with some grade eights. One year it was with some grade fours. And now this year I tried it with my K to twos. It has been absolutely amazing. I can't believe how much passion they have for this game. And they've never, most of them have never really even been to a bowling alley. So it's really, really exciting. So That's, how often are you going? Uh, how often am I going? Like, am I teaching? Yeah. Well, how often are you taking the kids to the lanes to bowl, or how is the how is the how does the program work? So um, we don't take the kids to the lanes right now. This has been all because of COVID and everything like that. In the past, I have taken the grade eights and the grade fours over to the lanes. It hasn't been um, at the school as much. But now with this group, especially because of COVID, um, we were looking at games that they don't share equipment and that they're able to distance. So I was thinking, you know, we do curling inside the gym and we have a curling set and we did an air hockey thing with pool noodles and um, cones and everything like that. And those went really well. And I thought, okay, what's another target game that we can try with these kids that they'd really be interested in and bowling was totally the answer for that they got so into it and i didn't have a lot of great equipment for this time round but um even with the plastic pins and we had this these little foam balls they just they begged for it every day they were going home saying i can't wait to go back to school we have fazette today and we are doing bowling and the kids were just so engaged with it that that's so awesome especially even not 
taking them to, you know, the lanes and whatnot. Um, I think it's amazing that you're able to change their or set in a perspective of this game that uh, sometimes, you know, you, you get into the older kids, you talk about the grade eight kids, you know, the, the, I think we've all experienced it in our lifetime where somebody tells us that this game is like, you know, dumb or boring or whatever. It's not hockey. It's not one of those sports. So to be able to put that into their heads at K to two and drill it into them that this game is awesome. And there's so many things that you could do with it and change that perspective mm -hmm. at an early age. Hopefully that will, you know, extend throughout lifetime. That's, that's huge for us as a sport, honestly. Mm -hmm. And for me, this game has given me so much and I just want to give back to it. It has taken me through some of the hardest times of my life for sure. And anything that I can do to bring kids in that may, you know, have, their own issues going on, but to have something like this that they're able to do consistently um, and to have people like the bowling community around them in those tough times, I found for me, at least it was, it made the difference of me being here today. So that is one big thing for bowling. Um, it's just, it's done so much for me. I just want to give back. Are there other schools in your region that are also um, doing bowling as part of their curriculum? Um, there's been some schools that have done it with uh, Canadian history, some with math. They've done some of that. I haven't really seen it in phys ed. Um, that's kind of my goal is with the older kids, I'd like to bring in all the other stuff. But with the younger kids, I just I want them to, you know, kind of instill that love of bowling for them and then drive up those YBC numbers with that. Because these kids right now that I'm working with, they want to be in that alley right now. Like they would be in there last week. They just, they love it so much. They, um, they, call, yeah, yeah. they call Dexter the king of bowling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he made this video for them uh, just kind of explaining, I guess, his past and showing a little bit off of his lanes and he showed Tim as well in the background. I don't know if he was aware of that, but um, the kids freaked out. I showed them all today and they, they are just pumped. I'll have to send you the video later of them uh, asking some questions, but yeah. they are just, they ask for bowling. Like we've moved on to basketball and stuff. Now they've asked for bowling every single day. Right. Amazing. You know what? Bowling is is a game that everybody or a sport that everybody loves doing. Mm -hmm. Participation level and getting kids to want to go and bowl is not hard. That that's that's easy. It's the teaching of the sport and the skill sets that we've fallen down on. And what Jen is attempting to do and has begun to do within her center and within her home school. And that she has, uh, I think, Jen, you've told me you have about 13 teachers or so across Canada that replied to one of your posts and mm -hmm. is now actively involved in, in conveying information about how to teach. One of, one of the things to add on here is the Learn to Bowl kit that the proprietors developed. It was really developed by the Bowling Federation of Canada through the proprietors. Mm -hmm. And that whole system, you can't get it uh, by ordering any more from the proprietors, but what you can is get all of those lesson plans 
freely from the Bowling Federation of Canada website. So teachers that want to get the lesson plans that are already set out, there is that opportunity to do that. Um, the carpet, the proprietors came out with a, a about a six foot long carpet right. with pins and balls that they intended to have distributed to bowling centers. And that didn't come out, that didn't get put where they wanted it as well as they had hoped for. Uh, not as many proprietors were as progressive thinking as as the Wisemans and uh, Ray out in Nanaimo and others around. Okay, I think I think they're all gone or spoken. They are gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they've been gone for quite a while, but the the lessons are still there. However, what Jen is doing is really quite admirable. She's putting a lot of legwork in it. Do you have any priorities in terms of what you think, Jen? needs to be done first or um you know just looking at what is available already we don't want to re reinvent the wheel just like we were talking about the other night tom um looking to see what we can add for the teachers because i know for us one of the big parts of phys ed is looking at those curricular outcomes so what can we offer with a tie to them um, in order to make it easier for the teachers to teach that skill yeah um I mean, the equipment here would be a kind of an obstacle with that. For our school, it, it's hard to find anything in order to teach bowling. Um, if we were to have those carpeted lanes, I know there's one in our community here in Yorkton. Uh, it's It was sold, I think, from the bowling alley. I'm not sure what exactly what happened with it, but when the lanes were sold here, that was also sold off. So... Um, it would be great if we could get something like that again, but I'm not sure how that would work. I think Brett, some I think Brett mentioned kids bowl program. That's a yeah, really kids big thing to help promote getting kids in. We need to be able to reach the schools, and uh, I think Jennifer's. It's amazing what internet has done in terms of being able to reach people. Right, um, the proprietors were as an organization, we're hoping that by getting this information out to proprietors, they would in turn get it to teachers because the teachers were coming to their bowling centers, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't come to materialize the way they had hoped it would, uh, you know, in terms of a general statement. Uh, so maybe there's another tactic that we need to used and maybe it's the internet and helping reach out to people and what Jennifer is doing because she's starting with a small nucleus of people and then that just grows right from there. so I, I guess like I don't know how to say this properly so just bear with me like like a lot of things um, uh, I, I I feel like the hardest sell and and this is great that how we have Jennifer on it and Tom on is the the, the hardest self and is with again bowling in schools and uh is that when the proprietors and uh dex being dex and i being part of that situation um is that when we approach schools um it's it's great we have these packages right and in, in these packages now we can admit are probably outdated and they're probably some of it's obsolete now um and lost and and <laughs> maybe have to be looked at again um maybe had to make it more relevant but 
Um, they're still feasible and they're still useful in some aspects, but the, the problem is when we, when we bring them to the schools, what's in it for the schools, right? I mean, we, we can ask them, Hey guys, it's great that you guys are just here, promote my sport, promote my center, but what's in it for them, right? Unless, unless you guys have two great ambassadors of our sport, like Jen and Tom here, it's, it's tough for us to, to expect that. Right. So on our ends, I guess w- w- the proprietors have to really get in the community and work with the schools and figure out a way of getting in there and supporting the schools, a better way of, and making a relationship with them. Right. Um, one way I, I heard a couple of weeks ago was maybe build scholarships, maybe work with your local associations and maybe build some scholarships in there and where they can build um, some work with them. And you know what? Schools like scholarships. Maybe there's a way uh, my local association can build a school scholarship where we can make a high school thing out of it. That might entice them to come by, right? Maybe they might want to build something in there. But um, what Jen's doing is there is incredible. And I think if we can get a couple teachers on board and if there's a way we can sell it to the trustees and the board somehow, but as a way as, as proprietors, if there's any ideas on you guys can give us to sell to them, I'm all open for it because I don't know how what we can sell to you guys in a way, right? I believe yeah, uh, handing out these resources to the pack, yeah. the teachers, yeah, might be bum backwards because they don't know anything about the sport and teachers. Okay, I'm gonna be cruel, but teachers don't necessarily like reading a lot of small print, <laughs> <laughs> like 360 pages. Tom? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, I think. It would be wonderful if when a class comes to the bowling center, the teacher is given the resource package to take and that the proprietor teach the kids how to bowl when they come in. I wonder if the proprietors, uh, oftentimes the big push uh, for schools deciding on what they do boils down to dollars. I wonder if the proprietors can afford to pay for a bus to bring the kids there. No, I think insurance comes to that too. A lot of it's insurance. We looked into, we talked about busing. Honestly, we've looked at that and a lot of it's insurance. But liabilities. The school provides the transportation. All you do is pay their transportation. For For sure. You can do that through the parent council. Yeah. You know, I sit on my kids' parent council. Um, that's they, they had talked about field trips and reduction in field trips based on the budgets and cuts and you know government and all that. Yeah. Um, I had offered from a you know anonymous donation um, to cover the cost for some of these things, and basically it came down to well coronavirus for one, but also it has to relate to the curriculum. Yeah. So you know, in a couple of comments here in the, in the comment section, people are talking about high schools. Um, you know, Brett Hendrickson offering to do instruction and they just chuckled at him. You know, Tim Hooper obviously mentioned too about Winnipeg and high school. It is too late. Um, that's what I think is great about what Jen's doing is that you do have the younger ages, uh, the elementary schools about bringing them in to enjoy it. And that ultimately, that's what will likely increase the numbers in YBC if you teach it young enough to build it. Um, the people that are coming to play that are in high school 
they're not going to do any sort of a high school championships. The people there will be people already playing in YBC, right? So you're just forming an extra tournament for the people already in YBC. Whereas the whole idea of it is it getting more people to play the sport and to recognize the sport to see it. So, um, you know, Jen's, I think, obviously on the right track. Jen, you yeah. had mentioned earlier about 13 or 15 teachers across the country. Mm-hmm. How does that come about? Is that something that you email? Do you have a, you know, a platform or a forum group that you email teachers or, or what? how does that work? Yeah, so um, it kind of came back from when I shared my post of how things were going and then it was shared by you guys and a whole bunch of other different organizations. Um, teachers actually reached out to me and just messaged me and I had just exchanged some information with them um, about how to contact me and now I just have them on an email list. Um, they're kind of, there's a few of them that do more than just teach in their school, but they do more for their division. So it would be more so something that they would offer division wide. Um, but yeah, we're just looking like currently just looking at the younger grades, but maybe looking to expand that, um, later on. So how can, you know, five pin universe help? Um, you know, I guess, you know, tying it back to us, what can we do to help um, attract kids to play into centers, you know, obviously making videos. We want kids to, you know, five pin universe on YouTube. We know that they're all YouTubers and stuff. Um, but you know, any, any comments out there from anybody in the comment section or, or, you know, Jen, Tom, what can, what can five pin universe do to help attract school age kids to come and play bowling? I actually just talked about this with some of the kids at school. (laughs) Um, their thing was like, well, are you on TikTok? So something I discussed with some of the other kids and even my own kids, I have three of my own, um, two of which are in YBC is, well, why don't you do some TikTok videos? So I've talked to the kids at school and said, well, maybe I'll make a TikTok account just for purely, you know, five pin stuff, just, you know, small things because you can go up to a minute, right? The kids love TikTok. And- I- yeah, I, I learned. I, I just learned what a renegade is a, a few months ago, and and they tried to teach me how to dance it. I'm not good with TikTok, but if that gets us views for the younger crowd, then then yeah. all the power to it. Yeah, the wise, the wise men tins need to get a TikTok account. Five pin you TikTok. Uh, I actually, I <laughs> actually have one. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, well, I've done nothing with it except I put up one of the trick shot videos the other day because yeah. I figured, hey, you know what, I'm on here. I just kind of went down the rabbit hole on it and found some yeah. stuff that was pretty funny. And then and then I was like, oh, you know what, if we could do something for bowling, it'd be all right. So I threw up one of the one of the trick shots to see what happened. And it got 500 views almost instantly. And yeah. I have I have no followers. Like, I'm just TikTok. some loser on TikTok. Right? That's all they want. I mean, they nope. watch TikTok. They don't watch TV or anything else. It's TikTok videos. Like Paige well, can sit there and scroll TikTok. I'm like, what are you doing? TikTok. Yeah. The novelty of what you did, Dexter, catches their attention, and it's worth doing. Jen, you have Matthew Decker working, uh, looking to work with you on doing some video. Um, he's kind of, kind of helping me with, along with the whole project. So talking out, you know, all of our ideas, um, he's from Alberta as well. He Calgary, lives here. Yeah. You yeah. guys know him? Yeah. Oh, see, he's now he's commenting. Um, yeah, we, 
we just really both have a great passion for the game and want to mm-hmm. do anything we can. Um, so he works in broadcasting um, at the radio station here. And I'm really looking forward to kind of getting together with him and seeing what we can put together. I think I think um, any video that Matthew and or yourself develop, would 5-Pin Universe be open to putting it on there? 100%. We are all for 5-Pin production of any type. We will... We will share. We will even post it on our YouTube's, our Facebook, um, on our TikTok. If you want, yeah, like we are all for promoting the game. Um, unfortunately, like right now, we are um, Five Pin Universe does have the most likes across any Canadian Facebook group, YouTube pages, any of that stuff. So um, we are more than willing to help out. Uh, we're here for the game. So that'd be awesome. And I think the other thing is uh, Dexter, Tim, Daryl, Terry, just keep working on how creative you can be with what you put on on the site because I think that creativity, it's amazing when, when something goes viral, it's amazing how that changes people's engagement. And there's no knowing <laughs> what's going to go viral, right? But novelty of something probably is going to help you with whatever that might be. Teach a cat to bowl. Yeah. You know? That's the challenge of the, of, the, of the COVID. I mean, prior to, I mean, the, the boys were open there for a time, um, you know, we were able to play league. And I was popping in on Tuesdays every day for lunch. And we would do a little, you know, short video, uh, whether yeah. it was a challenge game or something. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan is just to keep on building on these short videos rather than full podcasts. We've been somewhat limited here. Uh, but as of late, obviously, the Wiseman twins is able to still go into, into play. Um, well, they're doing their little shots or they're doing stuff. So we are keep sending them ideas on, on things to do, and they just keep looking at us, shaking their heads. But the reality is, you're right, Tom, is anything that we can do, and we are keep trying to be creative from a 5 day yeah. new to get the word out and get the brand out. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how quickly things can go viral? We have one on TikTok. We have one of our employees who uh, who d- doesn't bowl at all, but he's a very outgoing sort of guy. But he just did a random TikTok about everything that goes on. Well, it was him doing the gat, the gat trend or whatever going on. But he did it in the bowling alley, and he did it in the back of the uh, back of the bowling alley, showing like the balls going down and whatnot. And the thing blew up to 244,000 views. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make a 5-pin U account. 5-pin U TikTok account that you guys can do little stuff like that for sure, guys. Yeah. The cool yeah. thing about that, too, is that you can become a creator on TikTok, and then you can get money from that as well, and that can go towards the whole situation. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Dexter, you got a new job. Um, while, we're, while, while we're at it, uh, Dex and I need some ideas for some trick shots. So, uh, if you guys want to just message us or tell us here on our, on our comments, what kind of trick shots we want, yeah. um, just, just, yeah. Wendy's not very happy with sometimes with us, but she'll get over it. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we've seen some previews of some of the stuff and I'm going to piggyback shot to, to be, to be public. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, the piggyback shot. That that was that was a lot of fun for Dex. Yeah. Tom, looks like you got a question from your buddy Don Sim. Uh, he's now completed a history of the Western Canada Championships from 1945 to 73. All the winners, names, and scores. 
Ned Powers not available. So are you ready to, ready to help with book number five? Well, I, I wonder how many pages that looks like, Don. Um, yeah. Send me a note and let me know, or send me what you have um, and so I can count the pages. And, and let's see how many pages that is. If it's only a matter of putting in four or five pages to the book, it's not a big deal, right? By the way, uh, success-driven logic will retail between thirty and thirty-five dollars. And when do you expect to be published? And I'm well. I'm only going to print. I've I've received quotes based on three hundred and twenty pages. I am now over that quantity. <laughs> um, and. I want to get it out late spring, June, not because I'm going to sell a whole lot then, because I know I'm going to be ready for the fall. Uh, but we'll sell it for between $30 and $35. And um, I'm playing with the idea of, well, if I come to Alberta, can we do a bowling clinic and sell the book to the mm. participants? Can the clinic be... Uh, registration fee of $35 that includes the book kind of thing, right? Um, that's sort of, I'm playing with that idea in terms of getting the book out to people. Um, I don't have a distrib distribution network per se. Uh, proprietors are willing to pick it up on a consignment basis. So that will be helpful. I'm only printing 200 at a time because it's expensive. Yeah. So, and I know I fully realize that if I print a thousand, uh, the cost goes down by about two bucks a book. But I cannot afford <laughs> the difference between paying for two hundred versus a thousand just to save two dollars on a book. Yeah, and let's be realistic: people aren't going to worry about two dollars if they're going to buy your book, Tom. So, um, anyway, that's where we're at. So hopefully, May, June, I can start taking it to the uh, people that are going to publish it for me. I'm still determining whether I want to do a perfect bound, which is like a hard book kind of cover, but with a soft cover or a coil uh, because it has a lot of um, worksheets in the back end in the appendixes. Uh, coil is kind of my favorite. Um, I, I want to just return if I can to what Jen was doing with her bowling, right? I think it would be really cool, and maybe it can't happen in the school setting because of permissions and all that stuff, right? But I bet you within a YBC context, doing a small little three-frame tournament with them and interviewing them afterwards and then putting it up on some site on the internet, right? Would that capture, we want to capture the interest of the kids. Mm -hmm. And if we're involving the kids in the process of doing it, right, and giving them internet exposure and parents are on site and all that, we can't do it through schools to do that sort of thing because the permissions and privacy stuff are painful. But yeah. we go to a YBC league and say, hey, we want to run a little tournament and uh, maybe have a stepladder thing for a five frame game or a three frame game. And maybe it's just Beth Balm thing uh, and tape that and then put it on site. We've now captured the interest of 
those kids and all their friends to watch them online, yeah. right? You do that enough times, you've created a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's just me shutting up right now. Tom, are you planning uh, Saskatchewan Bowling School this summer? No. I think we go ahead with the bowling school right now in the in the way that we typically do it, which is four days, uh, would not be wise. I believe to do it, we would need to have all of our instructors uh, inoculated. That's not going to happen. We would also be able to, we'd also need to figure out some way of keeping the students safe. We can't put them one in a room. It's too expensive. And they haven't come up with a plan for how to inoculate kids yet, even though they don't um, suffer the same consequences as as frequently. Uh, There needs to be more research done about how to keep kids safe in terms of the COVID thing. But what I am considering uh, is doing day-long schools. So, for instance, on a Saturday, um, 30 kids could show up. We could do it from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. And we could do the same thing on the Sunday with another group, or we could essentially make it a a two-day school for the locals, right, or people that wanted to come in and cover their own expenses to do it. But, again, that couldn't happen until later on when we know that some of the vaccines have been done and people are safe, the one – the adults, right? Yeah. So I don't think school is going to happen until 2022. And the other thing that's a kicker here, and I think this is true for all provinces that run bowling schools, their funding comes from lottery sales. <laughs> and the sales in, of lottery tickets in Saskatchewan have not been as robust as they were once before. So the revenue that uh, the Bowling Federation of Saskatchewan is going to be working with probably this year is going to be different than what it less than what it has been before and how that shakes down to myself and bowling school operation is yet to be seen but that's a long answer to a short question yeah i mean that's a smart answer i mean that's you have that is the way um hopefully like you said though there's still some way of running a school whether it's saturdays yeah maybe there's a virtual school that you could run um, you know, Regina or out of town or, or Alberta or Manitoba or, or various, you know, they're, they're being, yep. being creative, like you said, is uh, is going to be key to success this year. Yep, absolutely. Well, good sure. stuff, crew. Anything else, Tom, you want to talk about the book? I mean, obviously, we, we, we lots of good subjects. Um, had, a, had a great time reading through it. Um, yes, yeah. four pages. You know, Daryl, you, you did a really good job of putting me on the spot. Um, I have I had the chapter that I gave you, gentlemen, sitting on my left here, right? Yeah. And you started about talking about habits, right? And I thought, oh God, where am I going to find that in this chapter? I remember. I don't always remember everything I wrote. <laughs> but it's like two pages in. <laughs> I like killing trees. It's okay. Yeah, my printer at the office is is rolling pretty hard, so. Johnny sees the uh, Johnny and I are the same. We're still printer. We we love printing things. The other people in the office are, are not, so we contribute I, to the printing bill. Just want to thank uh, some of the people that have contributed. Kathy Davidson, you're contributing soon. I know. Hmm. Sandy Horton is contributing an article. Uh, Sandy Anderson Coghill, she's contributing. Carrie, you have 
Dexter, you have. Um, Bruce Border has. Jamie Newton, Ken Norris, Brenda Pankoff, Pat O'Callaghan, Greg Pederitis, Stephen Beauchamp, Stefan Beauchamp, Steve Barker, Bob Bokridge. How do you? I'm sorry, Bob, yes. I don't know how you say his last name. Uh, Brad Rusnick, Joan Ritchie, JB, uh, Jennifer Smith, Brian Sudbury, Jeff Young, Art Wells, John Walsh. They've um, all contributed so far. Fabulous writing. Uh, John Walsh's story mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. blow the box right off you when you read it. it it's it, incredible. He's an incredible human being. And uh, Brian Sudbury's story is very good. All of them are really good. Jamie Newton's story about uh, the business of COVID. Very touching. Very, you know, you really feel for uh, the Wisemans in the business that they're in right now. Uh, Jamie really puts a good perspective on it. It's it's a very touching story. Um, there are just so many people that have made contributions, 30-plus people now that have made contributions, and I think the list is growing a little bit each day, which is not nice. But <laughs> I'm cutting it off February 10th as my deadline because <laughs> 336 pages. <laughs> You you told me your deadline was September oh, of last year. <laughs> I kept coming up with new ideas. Yeah. Love I love it. No, it's great, Tom. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that's exciting to see the stories that everybody else is going to be contributing and get. You got some great names there, great legends of the sport, uh, and really prominent people. So good on you for doing what you're doing, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And you guys, I don't know how you do what you do. Um, you have a passion for what you're doing. It shows in what you're doing and how consistent you are putting on a quality program, gentlemen. It's uh, I really enjoy listening and watching to what goes on the show. Um, you've got tons of goodwill going on amongst the group of you and with the bowlers that are connecting with you. With your, how do you say that word that starts with B, Carrie? Pet, petchin. <laughs> Patreon. Yeah, why don't you just call it? How come you don't call it? <laughs> anyway, it's all really good stuff. Uh, aside, so, from, aside from Tim and Dex, I think that the good thing is, is that we all get along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jennifer, I uh, love the work you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for coming on too um, and contributing yeah. to the schools. That was important. Yeah, to understand and see what you're doing there and work on there. Hopefully, people can piggyback on that or get in touch with you or it just continue sure. to build school. By, by the way, Jennifer, Carrie, Tim, and Dexter, sorry, Daryl, all are quoted in the book. Oh. In one more. <laughs> Probably in the bad spots, but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> of what not to do or? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, um, once again, if uh, people want to know Tom's accolades and stuff, I know we didn't go a lot over that in this uh, podcast, but he's been on the podcast before. So go back and look through our library on soundcloud.com or on our YouTube. He was a part of our video podcasts and you get to hear all his accolades and all his insight into uh, bowling personally. We don't really need to look at my accolades. All we need to do is just keep helping each other. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. 
Okay, we'll let we'll let Tom and Jen go, and uh, we'll catch you in the back room if you want, guys. Stick around for a minute or two, and we'll just do our wrap up, and we'll see you in a sec. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That was awesome. Uh, very informative. I I hope people um, definitely purchase that book. Um, just from chapter two, I as technical as I am in the game, I learned tons of stuff just in that short thirty four pages. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you and I are pretty similar there, Carrie. And, you know, we, we both are pretty analytical of the game. Even if, even if I'm a quick at my approach, there's lots of things that I adjust and think about. And, and uh, yeah, uh, I definitely learned a whole bunch reading through that chapter. And, you know, he, we're at the point where we're, we're pretty high up there in, in, the, in the skill levels. And, and there's still endless amounts of things for us to learn. And I think that's really great to learn. I think it was awesome reading it too. Sorry, Tim, is that I've never read about five pin bowling. I never went to a bowling school. I was never a coach there. I was a, you know, lack of better words. I was a shithead when I was a teenager and <laughs> early twenties. And, you know, I was a boozer on the circuit. So I wasn't one of the favorite to be coming and coaching kids at the time. Um, you know, as my career has progressed, I've like to say, I've gotten a bit wiser and to be able to read something like this now really puts it into light. Like there's a lot of information uh, in there that sure, some of the stuff I do, but it's way more technical and analytical that I'm really enjoying the reading. Um, and some of the things I want to put into my game and to continue to get better, you know, at my age, I'm only 42, but there's a long way to go. And and reading this is exactly what I'm looking for right now in my game. Yeah, I, I definitely learned a lot. Of, obviously, we talked about prior podcasts and stuff obviously Dex and I have been to bowling school a lot with Tom and learned a lot throughout the years and uh, still learning a lot through the, throughout the years through that book. Um, so make sure you guys go and grab that book. Uh, obviously we got the second chapter. So if anybody wants to support five pin universe, we'll sell it off to the side for five bucks. Yeah. Three bucks, three bucks for the chapter. Three, three bucks for the chapter. Uh, Tom's in the background. He doesn't care. He said, so we'll sell it to you on black market. Yeah. Uh, get a preemptive on that. But uh, otherwise <laughs> we're all yeah. good. On that. His price point is good. I mean, between it's 30, 35 good. bucks, like yeah. buy guys, support awesome. him. he's put, he's put his heart and soul into this game and there's so much for us to learn from it. So I'm um, definitely please support. And thank you to all the people that keep listening to this every week. You know, the comments are, are great. Um, you know, we might have to put Brett Hendrickson on mute sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> no, I love all the comments. Uh, keep on chirping people. This is what makes us keep doing what we do is by having, yeah. knowing that you guys are watching and listening and being part of the show. So yeah. yeah. Next Happy week. I learned how to drink with my left hand. Thanks for the chirp. <laughs> Next week we got Helene Gomer on. So yes. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. She all right, guys. Well, Talk to you in another week. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.